Welcome everyone. As you can see behind me, we're in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, you're actually looking at the Jaffa Gate behind me, or the Yafo Gate. And it's not a green screen, it really is Jerusalem. And I'm here with two wonderful guests. And I'm going to introduce you to them in, to you in just a second. And both of them are children of Holocaust survivors. We're recording this on Yom Hashua. And so I look at this date, Holocaust Remembrance Day. I'm not sure exactly when you're going to be seeing this, but this is really terrific to be here with both of you. And uh, this is wonderful to have you here, Sam. Thank you. And, wonderful uh, to be here. This is great. And I see you brought your wife with you also. <laughs> here I am. And again, for everybody who's watching, your name is? Rifki. Rifki. And it's wonderful to have you here, Thank Rifki. You. Thank you. Thank so, you. I don't want to correct you, but I think she brought me. Oh, she, is that how this works? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, these things do work that way. <laughs> well, this is wonderful to be able to just have this time on this little deck out here. Beautiful. And to be able to record a real life story uh, about both of you and the Holocaust. So let's go back. Uh, let's go back to World War II. Let's start there. Uh, the Holocaust is going on. Um, your parents and your parents, both Holocaust survivors. Uh, where, where did, let's start with you, Sam. Uh, where were your parents living at that time? How old were they and what happened from there? My, my father was living in, uh, both of my parents were living in the Czechoslovakia, Hungary area. It changed from Czechoslovakia to Hungary uh, a number of times and uh, my father was from a place called Chust, and my mother was uh, from a place called Slatina, which is actually on the border of the Ukraine today, the border of Ukraine and Romania. And um, my father was born in 1920, so uh, he would have been, uh, was 19, he was in the Hungarian labor camp. Um, so he would have been 24, roughly, actually probably 22, because he was there for three years. My mother was uh, 15 when she was uh, taken to uh, Auschwitz. Wow, 15. They were very young. And, you know, I've done a lot of uh, studies on the Holocaust. And my desire is to really uh, get the message that is out there that, that I read the Bible many times, Old Testament and New Testament, and God made a covenant with Abraham, and it's a forever covenant. He says it right there in the book of Genesis. It's a covenant that he has made with Abraham and his descendants forever. And I look at the history of the Jewish people, Rifki, and, uh, uh, and what I see is it's been persecution since the beginning. You yeah. can go in biblical history, you can go in secular history. True. And it's never ended. I believe it is a spiritual dynamic. Um, God, and no matter what people say, I'm Christian, and no matter what people say, God has chosen the Jewish people. He chose them for a specific purpose, to work through them. This city behind us is testament to all of that. The temple used to be there. And I think of this, one of my favorite movies is Fiddler on the Roof. And in fact, when it was in Los Angeles last time, uh, pre-COVID, uh -huh. at the Pantages Theater, I made my wife and some friends 
go see it with us. Of course, they were excited to go <laughs> see it too, but I love that. Yeah. But one of my favorite lines is with uh, uh, Tavia when he says, why couldn't you have just chosen somebody else? <laughs> and, and But it's, I mean, the reality of the Jewish people, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'm smart enough to know as I've read the scriptures to understand the dynamic. Mm -hmm. And why, I even believe I understand why these things are happening and have always happened to the Jewish people. Maybe you can fill us in then because we're not quite so <laughs> yeah. sure. Well, it's not, it's, 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 uh, it is a spiritual dynamic. Yeah. Um, and maybe we will, maybe mm -hmm. I'll fill you in on my side. Okay. And, um, and that's why I believe when I am in a position like this, that I'm on God's side when I am supporting uh, the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. Thank you. So we're here in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. I want to hear what you have to say also. You're a parent for Holocaust survivors. Right. So um, <clears throat> my parents are Holocaust, were Holocaust survivors, both Polish Holocaust survivors. My mother was from a town called Lodge, very big city. And uh, she was the eldest of six children. And her father was, uh, had a fabric uh, factory. Lodge was known, had a lot of factories, textiles, fabrics, things like that. And her father owned a factory and her mother um, had a store where she sold notions like zippers and threads and things of that nature. And uh, my mother's parents and my mother as well were Orthodox Jews, but they were not Hasidic. Many Jews in Europe at that time were Hasidic. Her family was not Hasidic. And she went to gymnasium, which is the same as like a, a public school. And my mother actually graduated high school. And then in 1939, when the Germans came in, they walled off the Jewish community into what they called the Lodge Ghetto. So my mother was in that ghetto for four years. And during that four-year period, um, her, her mother was deported, her sisters were deported, and when you were deported it meant you went to concentration camp and never came back. Um, in 1944, my mother was deported to Auschwitz, but she was only there for a short time because then she was sent to a labor camp in a place called Salzwedel. And as my mother always says, that she was forced to make bullets which killed American soldiers. My father was from a small town called Zmigrid. It's in Galicia, and it was a small town, mainly Hasidic Jews. And my father was what they call a yeshiva boy. He went to yeshiva, which is Jewish studies. I think he went to like fourth grade elementary school, and after that he only went to yeshiva and he learned Talmud. That's what my father did. And then um, in 1942, the Germans came in, and they took all of the old women, women, old men, children, and they marched them out of the city into a forest called Halbov. And that was the massacre of Halbov. It was on July 7th, 1942, where they shot the men, women, and children into pre-dug graves. And they say that the grave, that the, and then they buried them over, and that the earth didn't stop moving for three days. And then my father was sent to Plashov, which is uh, where Schindler had his factory. My father did not work for Schindler, 
but he worked for Siemens, which is a very big um, conglomerate. They make medical equipment and things of that nature, and he was a slave laborer for Siemens until he was deported to Buchenwald. And um, my mother survived with one brother who came to Israel after the war. My mother went to the United States. And my father survived with one brother. He was one of seven. He survived with one brother. And they married in Germany after the war and came to the United States as well. Okay, that's quite a story. So this, I think, is hard for a lot of people to understand. I understand it, but a lot of people don't, is your mother worked for uh, making ammunition for the Germans that would be used against the Americans. And what, what people don't get is you're taken into a slave camp and you're going to, this is what you are going to do. In the process, you're also starved to death. You're given Absolutely. food. I mean, people are getting sick. Uh, you read about all the disease that went through the camps. Um, and you even, you had Jews that were required to take other Jews to the ovens, take them out of the ovens, and just the different things, uh, the, and the horrible atrocities that were happening to them. Both of you have uh, family from the past that were killed, as you both mentioned, uh, with your, oh, it would be your aunts and uncles and so forth that did not survive. And you, you look back at that and think of where you are now. Um, as you move forward, what are, you, what are your thoughts, to, again, today being Yom, Yom HaShoah. Yeah. Today is Yom HaShoah, and my thoughts are that, number one, I'm grateful that you're doing this because um, as a child of Holocaust survivors, we, we don't, I don't know how to say this, we don't need to remember. It's in our DNA. We grew up with it. Um, I remember years ago when I was a little girl, I was like five years old, and they had the Eichmann trials on television. And my parents were glued to the TV set watching the Eichmann trials. And I remember when they found him guilty, I said to my mother as a five-year-old, Jima, aren't you happy? They found him guilty. And she looked at me with a look and said, no, I can never be happy. And that's, uh, you know, our parents, I think both of our parents, um, they built lives. It was important for them to move ahead and build lives. And they did. They had children and they uh, had celebrations, weddings, and they made bar mitzvahs and they made bat mitzvahs with, you know, with us and our grandchildren. And, you know, they were grateful for their blessings. However, the backdrop of the Holocaust was always there. My mother always saying, I wish my father were alive. I wish my mother were alive. She would remind me that she had two little sisters. One was five years old and eight years old. And they were sent to Chelmno, which was not a, um, it was a death camp. You know, Auschwitz-Birkenau, you could work or you could be gassed. <laughs> not that you had a choice, but those were the options there. Chelmno was a death camp. And her little sisters, five years old and eight years old, were sent to Chelmno to be gassed. And my mother was the eldest, so she 
felt, I, I imagine, a, a somewhat of a responsibility to these children. They were little. She must have take, helped her mother take care of them. Her mother had a store. I'm sure she, you know. And the Holocaust in our growing up was always, always a backdrop. You, you, just, you just knew it was there even though they were happy at many times and celebrated and all sorts of beautiful things. They built a life, they really did. But there was always, I wanna say, a veil of sadness. Mm -hmm. So I, I think of this and, and uh, Sam, I also I've met with a lot of Jews who are older and were also Holocaust survivors. Most of them have, have uh, passed away, uh, but there's still some that are left. But over the years, in my talking with them, they don't want to, they don't really want to think about it, moved on. And at the same time, I've asked if they've ever visited um, Auschwitz or Dachau or one of the, the camps, and it's pretty rare. And they've just said they, it's, it's the pain and everything in that. And I'm sure your parents have both probably felt that way. Um, have either of you ever visited any of the camps? Which one did, what have you visited? Well, so um, we visited many. We went on a tour a number of years ago and actually my mother came with me and this was interesting. Um, my mother came with me. Uh, she want, we went to see Lodge, the city she was from, and we went to see her school and she recognized the lockers and the stairs and everything about it and she stood there in front of the school she graduated from. And we went to Auschwitz and I remember saying to my mother as we left, and Auschwitz was so interesting because it was, it was almost like a park. It was like a park, it was very green. It's a, there was like a huge area and it was outside green and that's where thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews were gathering at the time of the Shoah that they would be there, you know, smashed together. Now it was like almost like a park. And the sun was shining and the sky was blue and the birds were chirping. And all I could think of myself was how do birds sing in a place like this? And when we left, I said to my mother, Ma, look at this, you just walked out of Auschwitz. And she looked at me and she said, Rifke, I walked out of Auschwitz before. Wow, yeah. that's powerful. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about these things and myself being from America, you both live in America now. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't live far from each other Right, either. right. And, uh, but with that, there's a lot of Jews, a lot of my Jewish friends back home, uh, different than Jerusalem. They don't, there's, not a real connection with a lot of them with their Jewish history. You know, I, I talk with them and I say, I know more about your, your Jewish <laughs> history than you know about your Jewish history. I have a couple of very close friends of mine. I've walked them and said, well, this is you and this, you know. Do you find that, Sam, do you find that interesting or do you understand why that is with a lot of American Jews? There's necessarily, I mean, you live in the, in the Fairfax district, so that's different there. But as we look at America in general, there's, you, you have the pockets. But a lot of my Jewish friends, eh, they, they don't have that connection. Well, I, I think that, first of all, after the Holocaust, uh, many parents um, 
wanted to hide their Judaism, just as many didn't, many did. And I think that's part of it. And it's also that um, uh, there was assimilation, and uh, for a while America was a place people went, and uh, they wanted to escape Judaism. But uh, we see it coming back in a, in a big way, uh, and I'm sure it's going to continue in a big way. I'd like to take a moment to, to talk about my family. Does that work? Oh, please do. Okay. That's, that's why you're here. Please okay. do. Thank you, Sam. So um, my, my uh, grandpa, I'm going to talk mainly about my mother's family. Uh, my, my father is from Khost, and uh, his father was a, um, uh, a Hyde's uh, salesman. And uh, his mother, he loved his mother and father, and they had a wonderful life in Chutz. There was anti-Semitism, and to some degree they were used to it. I'm talking about my mother's family mainly because um, she spoke more about it, and also uh, I'm named after my grandfather. My name is Sam or Shmuel, and that was his name. And he was a very religious man. He, uh, on Shabbat, he wore the, he was a Chassid, a Vizhnitzer Chassid. He wore the black uh, coat and the fur hat on Shabbos. And uh, the way my mother described life there, it was beautiful. She had a wonderful, happy life. She loved it all, the singing and, on Shabbat and, and all of that. And she tells the story that when they were taken, basically it was right after Passover and it was on Shabbat. And, and they came home from the synagogue, they had lunch, and there was a knock on the door, and it wasn't Germans, it was a Hungarian uh, police, and they said, you have one hour to get your things together and get out of here. And uh, the story that she tells is that um, at the wedding of one of her sisters, she had six siblings, and the family was a large family. The place that she came from called Slatina, I think everybody was related. <laughs> and um, uh, in fact, my grandparents, I think, were first cousins. <laughs> um, and uh, what she says is that she had her, the family comes from someone called the Baba Henya. The weasel family came from the Baba Henya. At her sister's wedding, uh, there were between the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of the Baba Henya, there were 150 of them dancing at this wedding. And she says that the Baba Henya said, she was an old lady already, I think she was in her 80s, they said, which at that time was really old. And the Baba said, uh, uh, in Yiddish, she said, after this, I don't want to go to any other weddings. I'm old, I don't want to go to any other weddings. They gathered all of the people into a field, the Hungarians, and uh, the Baba said to uh, the person that she was talking to, who actually was one of the wealthy people there that happened to own the area where the field was, and, and she said to him, I said, I don't want to go to any more weddings. I always get emotional. And he responded to her, Baba Tzedei to this wedding, everybody has to go. And they were put into cattle cars and they were transported for, uh, my mother never could remember, she's still alive by the way, she's 93. She should live and be well. Uh, 
She seems to think it took about two days, crammed in, couldn't move, one pail to, you know, do your stuff in. You couldn't, uh, no bathroom or anything in the cattle car. Anyways, when they, when they got to Auschwitz and they opened the door, the first thing that happened was she had an uncle that could hardly walk. She was, he was older and the German guard had a German shepherd with him and he says to him to go, go walk. And he couldn't do it, so he right away sent the dog to tear him up. This was the first thing that they saw when they got out of the train. And of course, they were lined up and she was, uh, she was, went through Mangala. And when they were lined up, one of her uncles kind of saw what was going on. And he saw that the people that were stronger went to one side and the ones that were weaker and the, and the women and, and children, many of them that were weaker, went to the other side. So, uh, this was, uh, he, he basically, he said to his wife, uh, who was my grandmother's sister, he said to his wife, Monsi, get back the kid. Give the kids, give the, give the kids away. Because he recognized that maybe she'll live if she gives the kids away. But she refused. And she went uh, with the kids. Anyways, a day or two, a day later, when they were in the barracks already, my mother, she said to the head of the barracks, where are our parents? And the person said, you see the smoke in the chimneys? That's where your parents are. So that was, that was the introduction to, uh, to Auschwitz. That is just awful. And the, the, the history, I mean, you hear that, there's your parents in the smoke. That's just, I mean, it's, it's horrifying to think. I just want to say that although I'm crying, I was very fortunate. My parents were very upbeat people. I was born in Israel and raised in L.A., but, but uh, they were very upbeat people. So I don't want to give the impression that I didn't have a great life. I did have a great life. I mean, it's just amazing. You said you had a great life. And, you know, I'm talking with a lot of my Israeli friends and you look at just looking at the history of Israel and what's hap what happens right now with Israel coming from the U.N., coming from pretty much the world. Even, you know, I I'll say this. You don't have to say this, but even coming from America now, it's there's some unpleasant things that I see yeah. developing. And um, and yet out of this, this is something I know since the beginning of Israel's since their birth it has always been a David and Goliath world for Israel it doesn't matter you can go all the way again through the biblical history through the secular history Israel has always stood I know that in the end Jerusalem will always exist I know the Jewish people will always exist I know what the Bible <laughs> says I know the beginning of it and I know the end of it and and I, but I look at this and knowing that your parents, you still had a wonderful life. And I think going to Yad Vashem, which I've visited many times, uh, people will tell me they've been to a Holocaust museum here, a Holocaust museum there. I said, it's wonderful. I said, if you ever get the chance, go to Yad Vashem in, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. Um, 
you have something else you'd like to share? Well, yeah, I, I, what I wanted to say is that um, when um, my grandmother, I'm also named after my grandmother, Rivka, my mother's mother, Rivka. My name is actually Rivka Devora. I'm named after Rivka, who was my mother's mother, and Devora, who was my father's father, father's mother. Um, when, when Rivka, my grandmother, was taken to Auschwitz, I don't know what year it was, but they, it was her, they deported her. So my mother tells the story that her brother Moshe, who survived, he moved to Israel after the war, and she, they quickly packed their bags and ran after their mother, and they said, Mother, we're going with you. And she looked at them and she said, No, you will not come with me. She said in Yiddish, Ich will blaben von mir azeicher. I want from me that there should be, should remain a remembrance. We all go separate because maybe somebody will survive. 21 years ago, my son Ari got married here in Jerusalem to my daughter-in-law Miriam. And at Jewish weddings, um, which are huge celebrations, they call you up for bracha, for a blessing. Everybody, there's called Sheva Brachot, seven blessings. And they called my father up to give a blessing. And my father is a Kohen, which is a priest from biblical times. And he wanted to give the priestly blessing, but the first thing he said was he gave his name, Zayla Geisenberg, and he said, I'm a survivor of Buchenwald. And my wife, Lola, is a survivor of Auschwitz. We should have been ashes in the chimney. But I am here in Jerusalem, Ir HaKodesh, Jerusalem, the holy city, celebrating the wedding of my son, of my grandson, Ari. And today with us here, in there somewhere in that room, is my father's great-grandson, Rafi, the son of Ari, here in Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. So my grandmother, Rivka, who wanted that there should remain a remembrance, from her there are now four generations of children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, all of them Jewish, all of them observant Jews, they all keep Shabbat, they all keep kosher. And we thank God that there is a remembrance from her and from all of these Holocaust survivors that we have remained. And you said something very interesting about our history and um, the persecution and etc. Number one, what's important is that the Shoah was real. It was very real. And although most of the survivors have passed away, my mother-in-law, Perla, she, she should live and be well, is the only great-grandparent surviving. My father-in-law, Ben, both my parents, Zalig and Lola, have passed away. Most of the survivors have passed away. There are very, very few witnesses to history. This is something that is important because we now have to be witnesses to history. The world should be a witness to history, yet they want to deny it. But it happened. It happened. They do want to deny it. I, I know when this video airs, I know what the comments will be. Most of them will be 
favorable toward Israel, toward both of you, the Jewish people, because I know the people that, that watch what I post, but I always have people that will tell me I'm lying, I'm misleading people, and very anti-Semitic. Um, there is the, now the term anti-Semitism has a new form, and it's Zionism. And they, they will say, uh, I'm not an anti- I'm not anti-Jewish. I'm no. not anti-Jewish, I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm anti-Zionist. Mm -hmm. And it's just another form of anti-Semitism. Um, I know this within the church. I'm a pastor. And I find it, it, it bothers me a lot because what's happened within the churches in the Western world it, is that the, they've said, and I hear this from colleagues, that you shouldn't teach the Old Testament. Uh, they'll say in the New Testament, you don't teach the prophecies because both of those deal with the Jewish people. They deal with God's relationship with the Jewish people in a very favorable way. And, it's, and I look at it, and it's, an, it's, an, it's a form of uh, what's called, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, it's called replacement theology. Yes, yes I we're have. aware of yeah. it. Okay, and it, it is, uh, it's dangerous, it's evil. And I look at it, and so you have the denial that comes from the UN, you have the denial that comes from many of the governments in the world. You can turn on the mainstream media. Uh, Israel has no right to the land. And more and more, the Holocaust didn't happen. And then within the church, I look back at the church history. I can go to Nazi Germany. And <laughs> I know the stories. You know, I have uh, some of my friends. Uh, I have a friend whose grandfather was killed in Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. um, and we've talked many a times and I've, I've read a lot of uh, biographies, and I know the stories of the train going by on the way to one of the death camps, going by a church in particular. It's a fairly well-known story going by the church in particular. As, they, as the pastor would hear the train going by, he would tell the congregation to sing louder. So they would drown out the noise of the Jews that were on the car going as they would be screaming for help as they, they knew where they were going so the church would sing louder. I know of stories within uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau, for example, where the, the troops, the, the, the Nazi troops, would come back from church on Sunday singing Amazing Grace, and yet they would be perfectly okay taking Jews into the, the gassing them and and having them placed in the ovens and so i understand uh, that history and now i see it and i believe that god has called me to speak against this and i know the comments believe me i know the comments that are going to say about me but i've been dealing with this for a long time and i'm very thankful to have this time with both of you sam do you have any closing thoughts Yes, uh, I want to talk about two things that you said. One was about going back there. Uh, we did go back there, I don't remember, 15 years ago or so, and I went with uh, a cousin of mine who was much older than I, than I am. He's passed away since then. 
he showed me uh, my grandparents' home, but we were fortunate enough to actually get into his home. Originally, he didn't want to go. He said, I have no desire to go, so on and so forth. And I said, Jack, you have no choice. There's no one else to take me because my father couldn't travel. My mother wouldn't leave him. And I said, you have no choice. You have to go. So he, we went with a group of family members. We got into his house and he was stunned because it was exactly the way he left it. The same pictures on the wall, the same stenciling that they used to do on the walls instead of wallpaper. The rooms were the same. He, he just, he was like totally amazed. And the woman who had the house, she happened to have a picture of their class and he, she said to her, to him, I have a picture of your sister. And he didn't have a picture of his sister. So she takes out the picture and he sees it and he says to me, uh, you know, I, I really like that picture. And I said, Jack, you know, uh, she took the house. Maybe you could take the picture. <laughs> and, and, but he was very nice and he asked her and he promised to send back a copy, which he did. But it was an amazing trip and he was so happy that he, that he went. Uh, the other comment, uh, you talked about the survival of the Jewish people and so on and so forth. So I just wanted to say that the history of the Jewish people and Jerusalem is the greatest love story ever told. In my opinion, it makes Romeo and Juliet look weak <laughs> uh, for three times a day, plus every time we say grace ever after meal, we talk about Jerusalem. We pray three times a day in the prayers is Jerusalem, grace after meal in the prayers of Jerusalem. My wife and I, thank God, had the privilege, it's 15, again, I get emotional, 15 years ago of buying a home in Jerusalem. And uh, when we were sitting there with the closing documents, um, uh, yeah, what, what happens here is, you know, the, the deal is never done until the lawyers finish and you sign. And uh, I just couldn't believe it and I started crying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, oh boy, this is bad, because if they see me crying, they're going to raise the price. <laughs> but, but they didn't, and, and we bought this home in, in, uh, in Jerusalem, in Katamon, and uh, we are so grateful. Very so great. we, yeah. we're grateful to you, we're grateful to, to your whole community that is befriending the Jewish people now. We think it's very important and we thank God that we've come to a point in, in history where at least a good portion of the Christian community has gone from replacement theology to, to what you're promulgating today. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. W wonderful time with you, Sam. Really, really have enjoyed this uh, conversation that we've had. And I think, you know, I think of the words of Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, these Old Testament prophets, and you start thinking, may I never forget thee, O Jerusalem. And uh, that's how I feel. I was telling one of my friends earlier mm -hmm. this morning, Eris Sasson, who's his fifth, uh, uh, 12th generation wow. uh, here in Jerusalem. And I said, you know what, every time I'm here, I feel more at home here than I do back home in California. And it's just fantastic to be here. Thank you also, Rifka. I know when we began, I mentioned your name as Rifki. Please forgive me. It is Rifki. It is Rifki. Yes. So, it's, so Rifka is, is uh, somebody had said earlier that Rifki is Rifka with a Yiddish twist. Ah, okay, so I'm so <laughs> right with either one. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much. 
This has been wonderful. Thank you. I can't wait to see you both again. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, in Los Angeles or here? I prefer here, but. Los but it Angeles. might have to be LA. It might have to be Los Angeles. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you for watching, everybody. And we hope that you are richly blessed by this. God bless. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.